Welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I interview Petra Hollich, an executive coach who supports individuals and teams to make the most of their career and their skills and to enjoy their work. First of all, however, I talk with Petra about her family experiences, particularly when she was a child, and her mother, who took her from Slovakia eventually to Canada, but along the way there were many surprises and indeed some challenges that they faced as a young family. This will be very interesting for people interested in language development, but also particularly in terms of career development and personal experiences and how they shape the person who we become. In the middle of here, we also put a challenge in about what's happening in Great Britain at the moment, which seems slightly misplaced, but is a cue to a future episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoy this podcast and the series, which is intended to provide listening practice for advanced level English language students and to be interesting and entertaining in their own right. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome Petra and thank you very very much for joining me on the podcast and I will give an explanation to repeat what I said in my earlier introduction that I came across your story via LinkedIn and it was so inspiring uh, as part of International Women's Day to read about your mum and it was in that week the same week uh, my mother's 90th birthday party so it made me think about my mum and what she went through but your mother's story and your story your family's story was so interesting inspirational and in a way exciting but I'm sure you'll you might tell me otherwise um but I'm very interested in in that so if you could say a little bit about yourself and then then we'll talk about your mum all right well first of all John thank you so much for the invitation and and for picking up on my story I love telling that story and it's part of me and and my family history so thank you for giving me the opportunity to to talk about it um so I am born and raised in in Bratislava in Slovakia that's my roots are here I'm a I, I'm a Slovak but um I was growing up in a in a socialist system and uh my mom is uh, a very fearless brave um determined woman and a couple of times she actually tried to escape with us um from the socialist back then Czechoslovakia and twice it was unsuccessful we we were returned and then finally in 1990 just after the velvet revolution ended and we got our passports back and we and others finally were able to travel abroad she sold everything we had she packed up and she bought three one way tickets to toronto mm -hmm. and that's how our story our 25 year story in canada in in toronto started so um actually this year i'm coming up to an amazing anniversary where very soon i'll be able to say that i've lived uh, half of my life in slovakia and half in canada mm -hmm. and it does make you reflect when you look back on those things you think okay in one way where did those 25 years go but <laughs> But also that's, like, that's a different podcast. <laughs> yes. But also what life has been packed into that time. So can you go back and describe the two occasions on which your mother with you, with you and your sister, tried to escape Czechoslovakia, what years we're talking about, and the circumstances of that, how she planned and prepared for that, and what then happened? Mm 
Mm -hmm. I don't remember the first one because I was quite uh, quite young. But the second time, the second occurrence was the one that I was writing about in my LinkedIn post. I was around seven, and uh, she she planned to uh, to escape through Yugoslavia, which was a common route for people back then to purchase a trip or a vacation, and then from there, you know go somewhere but unfortunately something wasn't right with our papers with our visas and permits and 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 actually somebody even ahead of time um notified the authorities that we were a family trying trying to escape so we were caught at the border and i have a, an incredibly strong memory from from this time a memory that guides me throughout my life a memory that potentially could have been very traumatic for a seven-year-old, but my mom uh, turned it into into a moment and and a source of strength and determination. And this is what I was writing about in the post that you've noticed, because my memory is that I'm walking behind a soldier with a with a weapon, um, with a semi-automatic weapon, and they're taking my mom away because. She was the she was the adult in the family, and I'm walking behind the soldier. I have my younger one year um, younger sister uh, in in my hand, and um, I'm walking away from my mom. And it it could have been pretty scary and traumatic for a seven year old, but my mom, when she talks about this moment, this situation, this story, she always the way she told me that story. There was no stress, there was no fear, there was no um, trauma. She always talked about the fact how proud she was of me. She said, I was so proud of you. You were walking behind that soldier with your head up and you were taking care of your sister and you were so brave. And, and you even looked at the soldier with, your, with, a, with, a, with a certain contempt in your eyes. It was incredible. And, and every time she told me that story, I felt stronger and bigger and more capable. And, and it's a moment of strength for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't a successful uh, escape because we were returned and, and and she became a political prisoner and it sort of ruined her professional life for the rest of her professional career in, 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 in Czechoslovakia, in Slovakia. Uh, but she was successful in 1990 mm -hmm. and she did bring us to Toronto and she started with nothing and she gave... Uh, my sister and and myself a new life um and and that's how we started our second life in in canada which is amazing as you say that that point of time when things could have been and were very very traumatic could have been disastrous for the family mm. you've turned that round and that became the moment at which you know you probably very quickly matured and you know as a young child you were still able and are still able to draw back on that moment as a source of strength and pride because of what your mother had achieved but also what you achieved looking after your sister and as yes. you say that's a, a reflection point you come back to time and again yes I come yeah. back to that moment all the time and and there were other moments in our life moments of strength and courage and empowerment and I've taken it from my mom she is a role model uh, of all of this for me and I just have to close my eyes and reflect on these like you said these memories these moments and I feel very strong mm -hmm. 
and we should say your mum is still alive and you'll carry on that story. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll go to, to make it sure people know there's a very happy ending to this. Yes, um, yes. But tell us a bit about Canada then. On, on arrival, I mean, what was that like? Coming, you know, halfway across the world to a new country, I presume, depending on the time of the year, the climate was very different. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the language issues, the schooling issues, how did you settle down as a family? Yeah, so I was 17. It was summer of 1990. I came to Toronto with uh, zero knowledge of English. Um, and it was summer. So I finished uh, I finished the summer at home. And then my mom enrolled us in this local high school. And I found myself in the middle of this crazy large school with, I think, thousand students. And Canada, being Canada, country of immigrants, at that time had a very... Um, um, a wonderful program for immigrant kids at the high school I attended called um, ESL for kids, English as a second language for kids. And so my first year, I took no subject. I only learned English. Uh, so five hours a day English from this amazing, wonderful, incredible ESL teacher, Miss Cummings, who was a Romanian Canadian teacher, spoke fluent English, Romanian, French, and she became my first teacher of English and she changed my life, John. And I don't, this is totally not an exaggeration. She changed my life along with another person at the high school because Miss Cummings gave me my first book in English and said, take it home. And this is your gift, you're new here. And then a few days later, she found me somewhere sitting and learning English in a way she said, I've never seen anyone learn English this way. I had that English book in one hand and, um, uh, Slovak Canadian dictionary in the other and I was translating that book John word by word uh -huh. this is how I learned English we all learned differently but this is how I learned yes and she she was so proud of me and she encouraged me and she always um, gave me as an example to others uh, in a school and saying it's incredible how quickly you learn the English you're so smart you're so bright and I grew every day I've never experienced this at a school in Slovakia and I was just very lucky. I had teachers and a school coach, uh, Mr. Uh, Corbett, who really um, encouraged me and gave me a lot of confidence. And that would have been critical in those early days because, you know, being in what would be a strange country to you, uh, you'd never been there before. Um, and having to settle in so quickly. Did you have to learn French as well, or was it a solely English curriculum at that time? It was solely English curriculum. The, uh, the school I went to did offer French, but uh, I, I never got into uh, learning French, so I'm a, a two-language person <laughs> still. And what about your feelings at that time? How did you feel having left Slovakia possibly mm. I'm noted in one of the comments of your LinkedIn post there was a boyfriend involved and you had to write 10 page letters <laughs> to him so how yeah, did that this all was feel? yeah this was 1990 there was no email there was nothing there was no zoom uh and I I did I I left my first boyfriend behind and I remember writing these long letters and then putting in, in you know putting them in an envelope and walking to the closest post office and sending them and and um, saving up money to to have a phone call with him, you know, uh, every now and then. So 
So that was tough. But overall, my memories are super happy because I was in a new world. The world seemed totally exciting to me. New language, new people. My first part-time job was selling flowers in front of the St. Michael's Hospital, downtown Toronto. I did not, I, I don't understand how I was able to get this job because I did not speak English. I was there with a bucket of flowers and people who were walking into the hospitals would buy these flowers for their for their loved ones mm -hmm. and i remember john having conversations with these people and i don't know how because honestly i did not speak this new language but i remember people telling me that they're amazed that i'm i'm new and i'm there and i'm doing something and i'm you know taking care of myself and they were proud of me and i i i felt again i felt great so you know, people often say it must have been tough being, you know, so young and new in a country. It wasn't tough at all. It was super exciting for me mm -hmm. or it felt super exciting to me. And Canada has a sort of global reputation of being welcoming. And did you feel that? Did you feel as though people valued you as an immigrant? You talked about it being a, a country built from immigrants obviously there were indigenous communities as well but did you feel as though the country was growing and people were valued and welcomed there absolutely canada is a country built by immigrants there would be no canada without immigrants and immigration populations the chinese canadian build the railways italian canadians build the buildings and taught canadians how to do good masonry so people are proud to be where they're from, but proud to be in Canada. So even the way people introduce themselves, they say, I'm Chinese Canadian, I am Italian Canadian, I'm Slovak Canadian. They're proud of being both um, where they were born and where they now live. And even, even having an accent is quite, it's a point of interest. It's a, it's a conversation starter. Oh, you have such an interesting accent. Where are you from? And and so it's very different than, for example, having to immigrate to United States, where it's a melting pot. You um, you melt into the fabric of the of the country, and in Canada, you keep it. You're able to keep it in a very true and honest, respectful way. So, did you carry on uh, speaking Slovak at home, or did you speak English? I, I always spoke Slovak at home. So with my mom, with my sister, with my family, with my best friends, I, I always, um, back then and even now, speak Slovak. Other than that, at work, even in my dreams, <laughs> I dream in English. And the other thing that I was never, ever, ever able to do in English was when my son was born. And you know that baby talk, that goo goo gaga, cute baby talk that you do to babies, that I was never able to do in English that just didn't come out of my mouth in English I was always Slovak uh, written written communication for me is much more natural in English uh, I prefer to write in English and actually when I started writing on LinkedIn I had to really force myself and it took me maybe six months to to make that transition from writing in English to writing in Slovak mm -hmm. And off audio, we had a conversation, didn't we, about diacritics, the use of diacritics. Even the pronunciation of your name uh, has in some ways changed over time and maybe changing back again. Th those kind of things are part of your identity, but they shape and they form and they do change 
uh, over time. Absolutely. We changed our, my name changed, you know, several times um, when people couldn't really pronounce it. In, and it was such a long name, Holy Chova. And then they started uh, mispronouncing it. And I've noticed there's no OVA. So I cut the OVA and I became holic. I became for 25 years, I was Petra holic. And so when I came back, it was, oh, what am I now? And I tried to go back to Holy Chova. I just didn't come out of my mouth properly. So then I cut it back to to Holic or Holic, whatever people like. Yeah. And how about your mom? What did she do when she settled in Canada? Did she work? And how did she support you as a family? Oh, John. So the first maybe six months, my mom cleaned apartments, cleaned houses for the first, I think, six months when we arrived to, to be, you know, to basically survive and to make a living for us. And then she started volunteering at this immigration settlement center, downtown Toronto, basically assisting other Slovak and Czech immigrants. And she started helping and picking up things and skills and working on projects. Then she got employed at that settlement center. And then she starts she um she started studying Canadian immigration law and, and rules and procedures. And then she went to school, became um uh, a certified uh immigration practitioner, and she opened up her own business. And uh that's what she did for about 15 years. So she was certified by the government of Canada to officially help uh, other people from all around the world officially immigrate uh, to Canada, whether it was business immigration, investor immigrants, family reunification, students, etc. And then when she got bored with this, she, uh, after maybe 15 years, she was thinking, what else am I going to do? And she then opened up a nonprofit, which now helps to educate Canadian immigration professionals and keep keep up with all the different laws and regulations and changes in a Canadian immigration landscape. So she now runs with a partner of hers, this nonprofit that educates them and offers webinars, seminars, and, and all kinds of education opportunities. My mom is a master of reinvention. <laughs> uh, and she is incredibly adaptive and determined and you throw her anywhere, she'll make uh, she'll make something out of it. She's mm-hmm. 70, and she still runs this nonprofit from now Slovakia. Uh, and she runs this business. It's a nonprofit, but it's really like a business. And she runs it from, from here. She's incredible. She's an unstoppable force. And it's amazing how, well, not amazing, but she clearly is very adaptable. And she's created this role but she's maintained it and now thanks to the power of the internet she actually runs this business from this side of the the world so amazing that she can do that and Mm -hmm. is she happy to be back in slovakia does she find it a different country how did she adapt when she came back Mm -hmm. so when i so i came back after 25 years and um and then my mom was still there in Toronto and she would, you know, go back and forth and visit us. And then after a few years, she said, I miss you and you're too far away. I'm coming back. And so after 30 years in Toronto, in Canada, she came back with her American husband and okay. they've landed in this small village near Bratislava. He, I mean, Gary, her husband found herself himself in this village in the middle of, you know, for him nowhere. <laughs> so he's an American who had to 
moved to Canada to join his wife and now moved to Slovakia. And so it's quite, it's quite interesting, but uh, they're both fine. They're both happy. Uh, maybe he's a, a bit less happy uh, uh, than she is, but, uh, but they're here. And, and I'm so happy that my family is, is together again. I've got sisters still in Toronto, but my mom is here and, and her husband and, um, and it's incredible. I mean, we are here, then we went to Canada for 25 or 30 years in the case of my mom. And now we're here again. She's happy and I'm super happy. We have a good life here. Um, I have, I'm happy and, and um, you know, people often ask me, don't you miss Canada? Would you want to go back? And I say, I, I miss certain things like the cuisine and a few friends, but otherwise I'm really happy here and I don't regret a thing. I'm really grateful for what I, what I've gained by being born here and raised here and what I've gained by living in Canada. Uh-huh. I had a similar experience when I lived abroad for three years when I was younger. It almost seems like it happened to somebody else, like it's another uh-huh. life, lifetime uh-huh. away. And it's a long time ago now because I'm much older than you. But the um, the experience stays with you. It seems to be very powerful when you live somewhere else that's not your home. But then coming back to home has its own challenges as well, as you say, adapting, readapting, mm-hmm. and your mum readapting. Um, mm-hmm. Has she spoken about the differences she's noted uh, in Slovakia from when she left 30 years ago to being back now? I think we both noticed uh, differences. I think the country, and you know, people say, you know, you don't know how it was here in the 90s. It was crazy and it was tough and it was a you know mafia state and it was difficult. And, and, and yes, we skipped that period of time. Um, so maybe we don't have the full picture, but we do notice a kinder, I, I notice, I think Slovakia is a kinder, um countries still growing up you know when when my mom was leaving in 1990 people were saying why are you leaving now the country is finally free and and you can do whatever you want and why now and she said so wisely she said it's going to take a couple of generations for things to really significantly improve and she was right Mm -hmm. so there's still room to grow for us here and as i've observed as a a foreigner because i am a foreigner you know i'm british born mm. and although i've lived in many different countries i've been in slovakia now on and off for five years so not mm-hmm. solidly for five years um there is this self-doubt isn't there of a youngish country that clearly is re-establishing itself and its identity i don't know where that self-doubt or that lack of confidence comes from is that something you've noted you've noticed since you came back or is it not an issue for you as a slovak I think it's an issue for for the country because we, I mean, in terms of uh, a free, independent, independent state being able to run its course on its own independently, we're still young. We, you know, we're still trying this out. You know, even as a as a democracy, this is this is all. I mean, you know, maybe forty years, but it's still it's still new to us. So of course we're stumbling. Of course it's not perfect. It's not smooth. Um, I mean, but you just have to look at across the pond at other much older democracies. They're, you know, they've got their, they've got their things to improve and work on as well. So, um, 
yeah, we're, we're a growing country, growing up country, and it's okay. I don't mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here at this time. <clears throat> I'll just echo that because I think Britain is at the other end of that spectrum or continuum, mm. if you like, mm -hmm. an older democracy. And to be quite frank, it really is struggling. As a country, mm -hmm. Great Britain has lost its identity, in my opinion. Wow. And it really okay. is struggling. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually fascinated. Every country has sort of a a black chapter in its history every mm. country whether it's britain whether it's um canada slovakia we all even as people we've got chapters in our books in our lives that maybe we're not proud of and we know we could have done better countries have the same and it's fascinating to look at that and to learn from that and try not to erase that because mm. that's how we we grow yeah for britain and this is the subject of perhaps another podcast i need to mm -hmm. find a nice challenging guest uh, we've never fully owned or understood or acknowledged our colonial past. Ah, uh, that's that's what I meant by a dark chapter in... Yeah. And for us, it lasted any country. several hundred, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of hundred years. Also, mm -hmm. the fact that, um, you know, we, we began or we like to think we began the Industrial Revolution. And now there's a very interesting program I saw on YouTube recently where somebody was arguing the British economy is going through this cycle the british state in a sense where because it was one of the first countries to industrialize not surprisingly even though we're talking about 200 250 years further on it's now struggling to maintain that status mm -hmm. some people will blame brexit some people will mm -hmm. blame blame as they did pre-brexit immigration actually immigration like canada was a strength for britain but we've never fully understood it why it's happening nor used mm -hmm. it well to mm -hmm. be a diverse economy or diverse uh, society so in my opinion we've never fully got to the bottom of that and now we're an old state and we look like an old you know i'm thinking of myself we we behave and we look and we feel like an older person that's not fully in control of what's happening to them uh, that's how i would describe britain now and it's sad mm -hmm. it's very sad to see and i have to say even the younger generations are not changing it significantly enough um, for it to be any different but that's my opinion we'll come back to that in a future podcast it's quite controversial um, it is and it will be a fascinating podcast if you find the right guest i think uh because just like you know you said something now john that sort of made me think that just like every country has its past with its you know spots and and dark chapters and it's important to acknowledge and learn from it every person each one of us has that in our past and it's yes. good to look back sometimes and it's good to find that space and time to kind of stop and think about where am I coming from? What have I achieved? What am I proud? What am I maybe less proud? What am I going to do with this now? Yeah. I think I've got the title of that future podcast. It's the future of Britain, question mark. Ooh. Because although it's about the past, it's connecting what happened in the past to where we're going in the future. And mm -hmm. if we look at it, I think Slovakia's future potentially could be better than Britain's. Uh, economically as well as, as other aspects given the scale you know britain is mm -hmm. 10 times bigger but mm -hmm. still there's more energy in some aspects of slovak society than there is in britain but i've taken us off track let's come back to you <laughs> okay um so now we'll come to the second half of the podcast
what are you doing now in your career to work? And what did you do in Canada when you developed your career? What did you become? Mm -hmm. So in, um, in Canada, my undergrad was peace and conflict studies. Um, I was going to be a diplomat and I actually started studying international relations, but there was too much politics in the first year and I, I, I didn't enjoy it. And so I switched from international relations to peace and conflict studies, which had more focus on the sociology, psychology of conflict, conflict resolution. And I loved it. I loved it. But then in my, I think, second or third year, I got a, I got a part-time job at a headhunting agency and totally fell in love with the business world. And um, so my first few years were working in, in headhunting and really matching great jobs to great people, finding great matches and stories. And I loved when I found the perfect person for the perfect job, really, really loved it. And then I switched to human resources, organizational development, team development, and along the way became interested and started um, studying coaching. My first coaching um, program, I think I've completed maybe 15 years ago or 13 years ago, a long time ago. And so I've used this approach at work um, quite, quite a lot. And when I came back to Slovakia, uh, I had a great opportunity to work for, uh, for a large multinational corporation, downtown Bratislava, in HR. And amazing experience. Uh, but after a couple of years, I've realized that I want to do, I want to sort of do something different. I've had enough of big global corporate strategic project, and I felt the need to quiet down, slow down. And I really, really, really wanted to work with people individually. So mm -hmm. have enough time, energy, and focus of, on one person at a time. And that's what I do now. So I've left uh, two years ago. I just completed my second year of having my own business. About 50% of my time I work with individuals, uh, leaders, managers in companies. Um, and the other 50% is working with small teams. So either individual coaching or team coaching. And I love it. I, I do exactly what I wanted to do, what I intended to do when I let, left the corporate world. And I'm in love with my job. I have amazing clients um, that I'm super thankful for. And uh, yeah, that's that's my story. Are there any common kind of themes or common patterns that people come to you with to say, look, I'm struggling with this or I want to know more about myself in this regard or in this respect? What kind of things do people generally, obviously no specifics, uh, do people come to you with for support? Yeah. So I have two type, two types of managers, leaders that I support. One is the new starting manager, someone who was super successful as an individual contributor, was a, maybe a superstar and really a subject matter expert in their field. And they were, because of all of this, they were promoted and now, and they gave them a team. And so here we go, there's five people and do what you did, but now do it through these five people. And, and they, they, they don't know how, and they're craving the success that they've experienced as an individual contributor. They want to gain the respect of their team, trust of their team. They want to be a good manager. People want to do good and, and lead by example, but they just don't know how. And they're lucky enough to work for companies that allow them 
to work with an individual external coach, because this is the thing. A lot of my clients say, I find value in talking through what I'm talking through with you, with someone who is outside of the company, someone who is independent, impartial, neutral, Mm -hmm. someone who is outside of the corporate structure and maybe politics and someone who um, I can trust that it stays here. So that's that's the first, the, the, the newly promoted manager. And the other type of client is experienced, seasoned uh, manager, uh, senior manager, VP, maybe, uh, uh, maybe uh, a level be- uh, below the C-suite. And here, the issues are a bit different. A lot of times it's about, I've, I've, I've reached a certain level of success and I should be happy and I should be fulfilled. And, and I don't know, there's only five jobs like this in Slovakia and I'm not happy and fulfilled and I'm not feeling like this is what I'm meant to do. But I've invested so much into my career. I don't know where to go next. And so it could be career coaching or planning in a very strategic way what my next move is going to be mm-hmm. so that I utilize what I've what I've earned and learned and achieved into the next step of my of my career. And where do you think for these um, experienced managers, where do you think that sense of dissatisfaction comes from where Yes, they should be very grateful and very proud of what they've achieved, but actually it's not quite enough. Where, what drives that? What's the kind of feeling or the emotion or the the factors that go into that feeling? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, John, we people are meaning-seeking uh, creatures. We crave meaning. We want our jobs, our careers, what we do day to day. We want that to have meaning to us. It needs to be meaningful. And as we start our careers, you know, when you look at the Maslow hierarchy of needs, we need to earn money. We need to earn a living for our families. We need to sort of be stable and secure. But once we start achieving that and we got that, um, other needs uh, start becoming you know, very important. And we do start asking these questions. Does this make sense to me? Can I imagine the rest of my life doing what I'm doing right now? Um, what, you know, where's this going? Um, how come I enjoyed it 10 years ago, but I don't anymore. And so we, we're seeking and craving meaning. And when we stopped having meaning in what we're doing, it can be almost debilitating. People really, people can, people can spend, you know, or be stuck years in the same job asking the same question. What am I doing here? Why does it not have uh, any sense for me anymore? What am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. Is this the the concept of burnout that some people talk about where they feel, is it different to being exhausted? Is it another sense that they're experiencing? Would you mm-hmm. use the phrase burnout? to describe this i think it's so individual for every person it could be a combination i don't find uh my job meaningful and i'm burned out and i'm tired and uh it's coupled it's two three things coupled so of course yes it can be it can be burnout uh and it can be physical burnout or mental burnout it can be toxic people in your environment um at work colleagues your boss it can be 
all kinds of things. But this is what happens when something bothers us, when we need to figure something out, entangle something in our minds. If we keep these thoughts in our mind only, and, and they're there, and we just keep them in our mind, and we're just thinking about it alone, you know, somewhere, we get stuck, we, you know, we just, we get, we cycle these thoughts, the same thoughts over and over again. And this is why coaching, uh, or just talking out loud about something that's important. That's why it's so valuable, because with coaching, you're sort of forced to get these thoughts that you're just circling around in your mind forever. You're forced to, first of all, think about what you want to say, and you're forced to take these thoughts out of your head and through your mouth, uh, say them out loud. And something happens neurologically when you're forced to take your thoughts out of your mind, out in the in the world. So you you're saying it out loud. You now hearing yourself say you know say these things, these thoughts out loud. And then someone who is credible and professional and trade is actually uh, interacting with these thoughts that you now said out loud and something happens there and you're you're getting forward differently than you would have if you kept your thoughts in your mind and is it the job of the coach to shape those thoughts to just listen to those thoughts or to interact with those thoughts what's your kind of preferred model as a coach it really depends on on the situation coach can simply paraphrase and something magical can happen. Sometimes we're just paraphrasing a thought or the sentence that a client said is incredibly meaningful to the client because now he hears his thoughts, his words, maybe with a slight difference, put back to him. And he hears his thoughts uh, through words of someone else and he thinks, did they just say that? This is incredible. And so it can be paraphrasing, it can be summarizing, it can, it can be bottom lining, it can be challenging, it can be mirroring, it can be just listening, it can be just a pause and being silent. I mean, there are all kinds of techniques that professional coaches uh, use. It really depends on the situation, on the topic, um, what exactly is going on in that moment with that client. <music> And you build a good rapport with your with your um, customers. Do you call them customers or clients or participants? Do you use a phrase like that? Thinking I of use, the language of coaching. Yeah, I use clients and I use coach with. So I really, I like, I don't like I coach someone. It means like I'm doing something to them. Uh -huh. uh, like they're helpless and I'm kind of coaching them to, you know. And so I like to use uh, the word, the term client but I coach with my client. Um, so language matters and this matters to me. And I, I like, I like coaching with my clients. Um, it means that the process is, is more participative. We're there uh, together and it's a partnership. I, I'm, I'm not a guru. I'm not um, uh, an expert of, in their life or in their sector or, or in their industry. I'm a qualified, certified professional coach, a partner in thinking, uh, who is a, if I'm expert in anything, it's in the process and structure of a effective conversation. 
because coaching is different than just a friendly chat. If I'm having a friendly chat with my friends um, over a coffee, we're just talking. In a coaching conversation, there is a goal, which we need to determine at the beginning, and we need to get there. And we check throughout whether we're nearing that goal. Um, so that's how coaching conversation differs from just a friendly chat. And this language, as you say, is very important. What distinction do you make between a coach and a mentor? Coach and a mentor. Mm -hmm. Coach uh, is a partner in a conversation where there is no agenda and I'm not relying on my own experience as a, as a, as a HR professional or as an expert in organizational development. I'm there uh, following the agenda of the, of the client. I'm not relying on my expertise as a mentor. And I work as a mentor too. I mean, sometimes people make these maybe very harsh distinctions between coaching and mentoring, but to be honest, if and when a client asks me for, for advice, I do, first of all, make the distinction between the two, coaching and mentoring. But I say something like, do you want to spend the last 10 minutes of our session? And I'll gladly give you my point of view. So if the client asks for it, if we distinguish it from coaching, if we find appropriate time in a conversation, I'm I'm happy to 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 give a bit of my experience. And that's what mentor does. So if I'm spending 60 minutes with someone in a mentoring conversation, I'm relying and using and sharing what worked for me, my lessons learned, uh, what I believe in, uh, what I want to give to this person because I've lived through that already. Um, so uh, the agenda there is I'm giving you what worked for, for me and maybe something will work for you as well. Yes, it's interesting. It, it's whether it's a dotted line or a solid line, whether, as you say, you we use this word demarcate, whether you put it in a box and say, okay, this particular part of this conversation is about mentoring, not coaching. I think mm -hmm. you know the International Coaching Federation would suggest that that's what you should do. You should make it very clear this is not part of the coaching element. But yeah. I don't know whether always those rules and kind of procedures and regulations help us or hinder us. Sometimes, and you mentioned a friend, sometimes it is just good to have somebody to listen to you. And that in itself, is tremendously powerful. Yes, absolutely. And every client needs something different from a coaching conversation. I have one executive client who uses our, uh, this is monthly coaching session, as I'm a sounding board. And, um, and he says at the end of every session, I ask him, what are you taking away from this? What was the most useful thing? And almost every time he, he says, I never have time to just talk out loud about things that are going on and hear myself say it and someone neutral um, reacting to it. I don't have that time. And it's incredible, valuable that one hour every month I can do that with you. And so we're not solving world hunger. We're not solving specific strategic uh, problems or objectives. This person needs the time to unwind his thinking process through talking out loud. And someone like me being there, holding that space and guiding that conversation and a different person, different executive will, will, will need something else from that conversation. And 
there are many challenges now in the workplace, but also in domestic life and, you know, our family lives are getting ever more complicated, I think it seems. Um, mm -hmm. But people need that time from each other, don't they? And do you see any difference between what happened pre-COVID and post-COVID? Did the lockdown have an impact on people in that way that they got less familiar with talking to people? Or do you think we found other ways of doing it? Yeah, I I uh, started my my business. I left uh, the corporation I worked for and started my business two weeks after COVID exploded. And I was thinking, this is crazy. I'm starting a new business and this pandemic just exploded in the world. And actually, it was good. It was a good thing, uh, not for the world, but for my business, because suddenly people, people and companies stopped having opportunities to meet in person to have in-person workshops and, and and learning sessions and training sessions and companies invested in online support for their people and so I started coaching online and doing sessions online and this was it was good for business but it was thank god we were able to technologically do this because at least people have some opportunity to connect mm -hmm. and to get the support they needed so it was sort of a blessing in, in disguise um, that way. So I I had a lot of work and I coached uh, in Slovakia, in Canada, because we could technologically and because there there was need. So, so for me, this was a good thing. And just to aim towards our wrapping up, um, mm. what's next for you? What's the future for you? We talked about the future of Britain being a question mark. What's the future <laughs> for Petra? The future is I want to keep developing my work and I want to be the most valuable coach for my clients. When people think leadership coaching in Slovakia, when people say I want the best leadership coach in Slovakia, I want I want them to think of me. I want them to know that I'm the person who can provide value, who can um, help them get what they want. It's incredibly important to me that I I keep bettering myself and I keep um, progressing as a coach, so people find what I do valuable. And the other thing, I want to keep working on my nonprofit. I have an amazing nonprofit organization called EduCoach. And there's 30 of us now. It's a nonprofit with 30 coaches, professional coaches, where we work high school students in their last and second last year of high school. And it brings me incredible joy uh, to give back to what I gained when I when I came to a high school in Toronto. I'm now giving that back to, mm -hmm. to students here in Slovakia, along with these other coaches. And I want to keep building this effort. And where can people find out... Um more information about EduCoach and your work mm -hmm. there and also your professional work as a coach. We can carry uh, written information in the description, in the podcast description, but how can people get in touch with you? So uh, people interested in EduCoach, if you want to have a coaching program at your school, if you're a parent, teacher, student, all you have to do is come to uh, educoach.sk, educoach.sk, and that's that's our nonprofit. And if you're looking at me for leadership coaching, coaching services, my LinkedIn profile is where I live, where people find me, where people get to my references, learn about what I do. Okay. So I'll carry all of that in the podcast description 
uh, we'll make those links. I do the same. I use LinkedIn as my primary vehicle for uh, getting in touch with people. Petra, thank you very much indeed. Jacqueline Velmi Pekne, thank you very much for your time. It's been tremendously interesting. The connection between the person and the professional, and you say about EduCoach wanting to revisit, you're probably in some way psychologically revisiting that young 17-year-old woman who went to Canada and who needed guidance and leadership. You clearly got it from your mum, but other people who stepped into your life at that time, at that age, were critically valuable to you, and you're giving that back now, which is tremendous to see. So thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you so much, John. Ďakujem veľmi pekne za pozvanie. Veľmi si cením túto príležitosť vrátiť sa do mojich spomienok a rozprávať o mojom živote. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And um, I look forward to listening to, to future podcasts, especially the one about Britain and yes. its future. It could be quite controversial. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I love controversial. <laughs> I'll make it a fiery one, yes. Okay. okay. Thank you again, Petra, and take care. Thank you.